Welcome to the Litigation Psychology Podcast, presented by Courtroom Sciences, a podcast for the defense bar about the intersection of science and litigation. Welcome to Courtroom Sciences Podcast this morning. Uh, this is the Litigation Psychology Podcast, and this morning we're going to talk um, about the nuclear verdict. Uh, the entire defense bar is in a complete panic right now, and I just had an attorney call me last week, and he said, Bill, what the hell is going on here? And I said, what do you mean, what the hell is going on? And he said, well, my clients keep calling me, asking me, what the hell is going on? I'm reading about all these nuclear verdicts, nuclear verdict this, nuclear verdict that. And it seems like the entire uh, defense bar is now in panic mode. And I actually uh, agree, they are. And I think that there are certain reasons for this. And so today... Is kind of episode one of I think a series that we're gonna do on the nuclear verdict what it is what it's not the potential contributing factors to it and there are many that I'm gonna start to go over today and um, some of them you're probably not gonna want to hear others I think are highly debatable but everyone's coming out all the pundits are coming out attorneys are coming out with their potential causes and um, I think as litigation psychologists, we may have a different take on this. Uh, in our next episode, Dr. George Speckart, who I'm going to have as my guest, he's a colleague of mine for over 15 years. He's been in the industry uh, over 30 years and has been doing research uh, on jurors, jury decision-making, particularly on damages. And he has some very interesting uh, things to share with you. So we're going to break down the nuclear verdict scientifically Uh, in a few days here. But today, I want to talk about what it is, what's going on in our society that could be causing these, and then some maybe some factors that may may surprise you. Now, I want to start off by playing you some audio from a recent, what the client uh, described as a nuclear verdict. Let's hear about some of the comments that jurors are are sharing. Let's hear about uh, some of the comments that uh, jurors are saying while they're awarding damages and kind of kind of break down the game film. You know, to deter to deter to deter behavior, you have to do something. Yeah. And if you don't if you don't deter behavior with a penalty like this, then it's still going to especially with apparently just buying it. Okay, so to deter behavior, you have to do something. <clears throat> okay, that that's a very logical um, argument. Let's see where this goes. Yeah, but they're in business, you know. Companies tend all to, around. to sell off and restart up someplace <laughs> else. They're, they're all around. And they yeah. already spent 100000 on this. Why not just yeah. take away half of what they just already basically they, they, like, They're a big company. They bought the company at a discount, I'm sure of that, that knowing that they had this liability. So this is a trucking case in which there is a fatality in the state of Texas. And now I have a juror telling the other jurors how companies work, how corporations work. And this guy doesn't have any corporate experience. But he's educating the other jurors, hey, here's what companies do. Here's how they operate. Let's let's keep going to the videotape. Uh, when when they, they rolled the dice. Yeah, half of the 136. Oh, Did they possibly know about the liability? 68. Yeah. They had to have not have told it without knowing. Okay, 50,000. Okay, 50,000. She suggested to go half of the 136 and go with 68 or 7. You know. Okay, so the demand in our mock trial 
was $136 million. So this jury is like, hey, I have an idea. Let's make life, <laughs> you know, that's, that's too much money. Let's cut it in half. <laughs> Let's do 65, 68 million. So there's another factor there, which I want to talk about now and also later, is that the plaintiff's bar is simply asking for more. They're simply asking for more. If they would have asked for 100, in this particular case, I'm sure this jury is going to be talking about, well, let's split down the middle at 50. If they would have asked for 50, they'd be talking about 25. But I want to hear some of these more punitive comments coming up. To deter, to deter, to deter behavior, you have to do something. Yeah. And if you, don't, if you don't deter behavior with a penalty like this, then it's still going to uh, And, and they, they rolled the yeah, dice. The yeah, they right. couldn't have bought it yeah. without knowing. Okay, 50,000. Really $50 million? I mean, 50 million. 50, she suggested to go half of the 136 and go with 68 or 70. So about seventy five. I think it has to hurt them because if it doesn't really, really hurt them, that'd be like someone saying, "Okay, like to me, I'm super poor. So if they said you have to pay five hundred dollars, like that would kill me. I I would die. Like it would take me forever to come up with that." So it's going to have to hurt them. That's what you just said. So, uh, and that was just the punitive. That was not the compensatory uh, damage deliberation. That was. <laughs> that was just a punitive uh, talk. So we have to go back to really what what is going on here. There are a number uh, of factors. But let's talk about nuclear verdicts. You know, what is a nuclear verdict? And by the way, no one agrees on this stuff. No one agrees on this stuff. I had a client, uh, well, not a case that I worked on, but a client that um, uh, earlier in the year got hit on a MedMal case for $1.5 million dollars. It was $1.5 million. Well, to him and his client, that was a nuclear verdict. <laughs> so um, I think it's going to depend. It's, it's in the eye of the beholder what a nuclear verdict is. And again, they have a lot of uh, so, you know, so-called legal experts and attorneys coming out uh, with factors such as, well, it's corporate mistrust. We have growing corporate mistrust. Uh, there's social pessimism. Uh, it's, it's politics. It's, it's Trump. It's... Uh, people don't value money the same way. And then several have come out and said that you know, the reptile theory is uh, playing a big role uh, in this, and I have several opinions uh, on that too. But I think what we really have to determine here before I go into these factors is who is to blame? Who is to blame? And I got to tell you, everything I'm seeing right now, everybody's blaming the jurors. Everybody's blaming the jurors. No one's taking a look in the mirror. Okay. No one's taking a look in the mirror. And I think that the, the defense bar needs to take a really good look in the mirror because I do think that they're contributing uh, to some of the variants here in these verdicts. I'm going to tell you why um, <clears throat> in a second. So there's this growing concern right now in the industry. Everybody's going crazy, right? And uh, just in, for example, in the state of Florida last year, the seven largest verdicts ranged from $41 million to $157 million, all right? And everybody's panicking. Uh, when you hear from Dr. George Speckart in a few days, he's gonna, he, he, he has a very different take on this. Uh, Dr. Speckart's uh, comments to me uh, earlier in the week were that these nuclear verdicts have been around for 30 years. They were called runaway juries back in the 90s. <laughs> then you had your stealth jurors, right? And now it's the nuclear verdict. Well, we would argue as scientists that, that this is not a new problem. Uh, it's just a problem that's really kind of gift-wrapped in a different way. And I think one of the issues 
is the media coverage of these verdicts is far greater, particularly with social media. Um, if you turn on the news channels or the websites, you're going to hear about you know the roundup, the roundup uh, uh, cases with the weed and grass killer. Uh, you flip to the next page on the the internet. I think Johnson and Johnson gets hit for several million dollars almost on a weekly basis now. It seems uh, this is happening all the time, and maybe that's another factor here: is jurors see all of these large verdicts and have become desensitized uh, to the verdicts, and uh, that type of money to them is really not 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 shocking at all. But again, <clears throat> I think that's one of several potential causes here of these of these nuclear verdicts. I'm not really sure it's the number one factor. Um, so all the legal experts have come out and they have all of their um, hypotheses. And this individual named David Logan, a professor at Roger Williams University School of Law, suggested, quote, we're in a much more deeply skeptical world than we were a generation ago. The larger narrative is people feel left behind. I don't know what his scientific basis is for that, but to me, that's a guess. I, I don't think there's any science behind that, and I don't trust academics either because they're not out in the in the field like like we are, courtroom sciences, literally digging out information and data from these jurors on a daily basis. Um, I'm not so sure that that um, <clears throat> that, that conclusion is true, and um, he says uh, also that uh, people jurors are fed up; they feel aggravated in general. Well, I mean, do they? Um, the defense doesn't lose all of these cases. You, know, you don't hear about the nuclear verdicts or the nuclear non-verdicts, meaning when the plaintiff asks for a lot of money, they put on their case, and it turns out to be a defense verdict. Well, they're the same jurors, right? They're the same jurors. Um, I think this is the time where we need to talk about the defense bar looking in the mirror. Um, funny enough, I think the one group of people that have the more accurately figured this out and I actually agree with them, is the plaintiff's bar. The plaintiff's bar has come out to all these articles and LinkedIn posts and said, hey, wait a second. You guys have no idea what you're talking about. What's happening is we're at maneuvering you. Okay? The insurance defense industry, corporations, you don't know how to value cases the right way. You underestimate the venue you're in. You overestimate your defense counsel, and you underestimate the plaintiff attorneys. And we are outmaneuvering you at every stage of litigation. I think that's a big part of this. I see this all the time. Because all the nuclear verdicts I hear about, it's the same story. It's discovery was not handled correctly. Witnesses weren't trained properly. The depositions are horrible. And by the time you get to the courtroom, you have a strategic disadvantage that's almost impossible to overcome. And I don't think the jurors have anything to do with that at all. I think a lot of that's what's going on here, and uh, we're going to talk about more with that with Dr. Specker. But I, I can't tell you how many times I've had insurance companies tell me, "Well, I can't, I can't pay for the mock trial. I'm not going to pay for the focus group. I'm not going to pay to train my witnesses appropriately." Yet that's exactly what the plaintiffs are doing early on in the case, and there's a reason for that, which is, which is a very interesting reason, is that uh, the types of uh, uh, financial, the types of financial uh, sources that the plaintiff's bar now has is really, really uh, kind of out of control. It's called uh, litigation financing. So right now, 
rather than uh, a plaintiff attorney having to go into his or her uh, savings account, now you have these third-party uh, uh, financers, right? That will invest into a case, and it takes the plaintiff attorneys or the plaintiff's firm. It takes the financial risk out of it. Uh, these uh, usually are hedge fund based, from what I heard, and they're multiplying all over the country. Meaning that uh, a a plaintiff attorney now can take a case that maybe otherwise he or she wouldn't have taken, because now the funding is there. And uh, I think this has really changed the course of litigation. That's why I think you're seeing a lot of these cases move forward that otherwise would have settled because now they don't have to settle. Now they can throw out some type of crazy number for settlement and uh, they don't have to pull it off the table. They can go to trial and they can have no fear. Why? Well, <laughs> they don't have any financial really consequence by going forward and losing. And I think that's something that's just going to grow. And I don't think the defense bar was ready for that. So this financial banking really allows the plaintiff attorneys to just roll the dice. And if they lose, big deal. You know, we'll go on to the next case. Whereas before, if they lose and roll the dice, they get zeroed out. Well, now that's a big financial hit to their firm. Well, that's not, that's really not happening anymore. So I think, um, I, I think the, the whole concept of litigation financing um, combined with, combined with the defense bars and the uh, insurance defense industries, I guess, unwillingness to invest in cases early creates, uh, I think, the big problem here. So you have two parties that are both working up a case. The plaintiff is doing focus groups early on. They want to find the lottery ticket. They want to find the way. The, the defense, <laughs> insurance defense industry, they're not, they're largely not doing that stuff. Okay. And then you get into the, the whole reptile theory. Well, uh, they come in with maybe a, a, a reptile script for a deposition testimony, and the defense uh, witnesses aren't ready. Okay, So now you have a huge disadvantage. You have one side that has done one or more jury research projects in the form of a mock trial in the form of a focus group. Right? They've adopted the, 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 perhaps the um, uh, reptile uh, theory methodology. And then you have another group that's maybe saving a couple bucks up front, but they're completely unprepared for this, meaning their case evaluation is nowhere as nearly as accurate as the plaintiff case evaluation. And um, they, their witnesses aren't prepared. So when they, uh, you've all seen, you've seen my CLEs and the countless videos I have um, with plaintiffs, uh, um, just really uh, plaintiff attorneys taking advantage I mean, just completely taking advantage of um, of defense witnesses, and the reason why it's they are totally unprepared, and it's completely preventable. But again, no one wants to talk about this. The defense bar has not adjusted to the new plaintiff attorney tactics, and these two tactics again, a lot of it's reptile theory. A lot of it is this financing, where these attorneys can get pretty brave because there's no. There's really no financial consequence to them. So uh, going back to one of my favorite movies, I think everybody needs to understand. You can't handle the truth. And it is the truth. And again, no one wants to talk about it. I, again, every time I get a call from the attorneys, the insurance company doesn't want to pay for this. The insurance company doesn't want to pay for that. Well, <clears throat> then, you know, four years later, they're in court 
they don't have the weaponry. They don't have the weaponry, and that I think is making a a, a really big impact on these uh, uh, um, uh, the, the ability for the defense to really put on a solid defense. Because if you start really putting money and time and effort into a case after discovery, well, you have to live with that discovery in, in at trial. I mean, you have your bad depositions. Uh, your, whether it be your expert testimony, your your fact witness testimony, your corporate rep testimony, you know, one of the, the probably one of our top services right now is coming in to uh, train corporate reps to be able to withstand aggressive, particularly reptilian cross examination from the plaintiff's bar. Because listen, let's face it, you put your corporate representative on the on the stand, and they get reptiled, your case is over. Now it's just going to be a matter of how much. How much is it going to be? Uh, another factor that's coming up, uh, corporate distrust. And again, all the pundits are coming out saying, well, jurors don't trust corporations. Jurors don't trust corporations. Well, again, I don't, I don't think jurors have trust corporations since the 1960s or 70s. <laughs> I really don't. Maybe not, even, maybe not even then. I remember my grandfather, uh, he worked for Chrysler, Chrysler uh, Automotive for 40 years and as i was growing up as a child i mean there's chrysler stuff all over the house he wore shirts that say chrysler on it. he just adored this company and that's the way that that war generation grew up uh they they, they grew up very very differently than than the the subsequent uh, uh generations um in the last, again, the last 30 years, uh, I think jurors have generally mistrusted corporations. I mean, I mean, look at Enron. Remember the Enron case? Okay, well, Enron case is not new. <laughs> and people, jurors were not trusting corporations well before Enron. But think about Enron was one of the biggest corporate distrust cases out there. And that was a while ago, okay? So when people start bringing up... Uh, Corporate distrust. I, I'm I'm not sure that's such a huge factor as everybody thinks it is. Okay, I, I'm not. I'm just really not sure uh, about that. Um, social pessimism. Here's another one. Well, people have lost faith in the system. People think they're 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 getting left behind, and they can fix things by awarding a large verdict. I, I think this is a compute. I think this is speculation. I don't think anybody has any solid data on this. Uh, at Courtroom Sciences, we're looking into these things. It takes a while. It does take a while. Um, but I think pessimism has been around for a long time. I don't, th- I don't think pessimism started in 2019, ladies and gentlemen. It's been, it's been, I think it's been around a long time. Uh, let's look at some other of these uh, hypotheses. The concept of money. Well, money, doesn't, mon- money isn't valued uh, the way it was at one time. Uh, I would generally agree with this, but I really think it's it really, really depends on your venue. Uh, we work in venues where we, we do a mock trial or a focus group, and we bring up a figure of, for example, I was working in uh, Wisconsin a few months ago, and during the mock trial, our mock plaintiff attorney said, you know, uh, I, you know uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the jury... When you deliberate, I'd like you to come back with a verdict of eight million dollars for my claim. Okay, eight million, not eighty, not eight hundred, not eight billion, eight million dollars. 
and this conservative farming community in Wisconsin started like bursting in laughter out loud. And they were appalled by $8 million. Okay. Um, so they value money. I think they came back at around a one, $1 million. And they thought that was too much as well. So uh, now you go into a different venue, you know, go into Philadelphia. $8 million is nothing. Okay. So I think that there's some interaction effect here with the types of jurors you have. And I think there's a lot of blanket statements, a lot of blanket statements. Well, jurors are thinking this way and jurors are thinking that way. Well, that's not true. It's going to depend on the venue. Every venue is completely different. In fact, I have a client that's hiring me to do a set of mock trials on the very same case across several different venues. Why? The venues are different. Okay. Let's go down to Fort Lauderdale, Miami. And, you know, when you start throwing $80 million around, it's not a lot of money. Everybody has a yacht. Okay. Go into Lincoln, Nebraska and ask for $80,000. They're going to look at you like you have three heads. So I think looking at the venue and what the venue data shows is, is very important. Now, on the other hand, you know, I don't care what venue you're in. Um, you know, look at today's athletes and movie stars. I mean, they make, you know, Russell Wilson makes $79 million to, to throw a football. All right. Now, does that have a big impact on how jurors view money? Well, Maybe a little, but again, I'm not. I'm not so sure that. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not so sure that's true. I think there's. I think there's other reasons uh, this is going on, and don't forget another thing that no one's really talking about. The defense is winning the vast majority of these, so everybody's terrified. Everybody's scared. All these corporate clients keep calling. Everybody's worried because they don't. They don't want to be the next one. They don't want to be the next one on the the cover of the Wall Street Journal that just got lit up for a hundred plus million dollars. But the fact of the matter is the defense is winning most of these cases, okay, when you really look at it statistically. But no one's breaking down why are they winning. Let's talk about that. I'll tell you why they're winning right now. They're very aggressive early on in the case. Okay. Thankfully there are some corporate clients out there that that see things differently. They, they, they don't mind dumping in significant, significant funding, okay, corporate funding, to giving their defense team the weaponry they need to start the fight. I call it throwing the first punch. You've got to take the fight to the plaintiff. If you're going to sit there and wait and wait and wait and save the save money, uh, <laughs> have the save money mentality, um, by the time you figure out you have a problem, it's entirely too late. And that's what we want to avoid. And I think that's where uh, some companies in corporate America have figured this out. Like, hey, the way I'm going to win this case is by resolving it. <laughs> I'm going to settle this case. And here's how I'm going to settle this case. Well, I'm going to make sure that my witnesses are trained properly. I'm going to make sure that my witnesses are effective at deposition. I'm going to make sure my corporate rep does not get reptile. Because once that happens, it kind of sucks the life out of the plaintiff's case. Now they get to think twice. You know, do I want to keep going with this? Do I do I do I want to take a reasonable settlement? And a lot of them want to take the reasonable settlement. Okay. Now, yes, we have this uh, litigation financing going on. Okay, that is a factor where, regardless of what happens, a case may end up going to trial. But I think much of the time, 
when the plaintiff has figured out, wow, the defense has done their homework, I'm going to rethink this. And I think that's where the defense has been doing uh, a much better job. But again, it's only a small proportion of defendants. Uh, a lot of defendants, if not the majority, again, they take that, I need to save money on litigation. Litigation is expensive. Well, yeah, it is. But the problem is when the other side's spending more than you and the other side's more prepared than you, um, that's going to lead to issues down the road. So I think that um, the reason why the defense is winning a lot of these cases is that they're properly working up uh, the cases. They are uh, getting uh, their witnesses properly trained for testimony, particularly for the reptile tactics. We've all seen this, okay? These reptile attorneys can absolutely abuse your witnesses, and it's always on videotape. And that puts you in a terrible position going forward. Terrible position going forward. Um, finally, kind of last topic here, and I'm, I'm scratching the surface. We're going to do a series on all these topics. This is just kind of the first one to scratch the surface, is what the other thing the plaintiff bar has figured out, because they've been doing the mock trials, because they've been doing the focus groups, they're getting very bold with their demands. Okay, they're asking for more money. Why? They can. They have figured out, you know, a lot of jurors like to, a lot of jurors like to split the baby or go halfway. They want to go home. Jurors don't want to sit there for five days calculating damages. And so <laughs> this effect is, it's quite amazing. If the plaintiff asks for $50 million, okay, many jurors say, you know what, let's, <laughs> let's give them half of that and get out of here, right? Well, what if they ask for 100 well, now the award just doubled. It goes from 25 to 50. What did it ask for 200 million? Well, half of that's 100. So they're getting very um, aggressive with the amounts of money they're asking for. And if the, the defense doesn't properly attack that amount of money immediately, that's how they're going to get burned. Now, most defense attorneys are taught <laughs> don't talk about money early in a case. Well, things have changed. Things have absolutely changed. If a plaintiff attorney comes out and asks for $150 million, the first three sentences of your opening statement better be attacking that demand and about how absurd it is. I worked on several cases like this in which uh, a plaintiff attorney came out and asked for well over $100 million. And I had to convince the attorney, don't, <laughs> don't wait till later on, don't wait till your damages case to attack that number. Don't worry about your financial economic expert to attack that number you have to attack it in the opening statement okay otherwise there's this anchoring effect and it's going to uh, impact the jurors so you have to torpedo that immediately uh, in the opening and uh, not wait till uh, uh, later on in the case um, I think now this is a good time uh, to wrap it up I wanted to get this uh, first uh, uh, part of the series uh, under our belts uh educates uh our listeners on, on why we're doing this you know why we're doing this is is uh well a no one else is doing it no one else is podcasting and i think we have a unique uh insight on jury decision making and uh juror cognition juror behavior uh jury emotion and why this stuff is happening and, and, and quite frankly we want to share it with the with the defense bar we want to share it with corporate america uh, you know, the one thing that the defense gets knocked for a lot, and I do agree, and everybody says this, that's completely correct, the defense bar does not communicate effectively. They don't share ideas. They compete with each other. 
because you're all fighting for the same business. Whereas the Plano's Bar, they <laughs> they share everything. When they win, they share it. Ready for this? When they lose, they share it. Okay, and they're doing that. So I think what you're going to see here. Uh, and we have to stop it. <laughs> and part of this podcast is to stop this effect. There's an evolution going on. There's an evolution going on. And I think the defense bar is behind. And they have a great chance to catch up. And how do you catch up? Well, CLEs, right? Whether it be webinar or live, we have to share our strategic information uh, with each other. Um, otherwise, the plan of attorney, uh, the plan of attorney bar, is not only going to stay ahead, they're going to increase their lead. And then we have to be more aggressive. The defense bar has to be more aggressive early on in cases. You have to throw that first punch, put the plaintiff attorneys, uh, put them on their heels, and that really changes the leverage in the case. And so I want to thank everybody for listening on this uh, first podcast of the Nuclear Verdict series. We'll be back in a few days with uh, my guest, Dr. George Speckart, to get into each one of these issues scientifically because we want to show you what the data is showing, what the data is showing, and uh, we're very excited about that. So uh, for now, we're going to check out, and we'll be with you in a few days with Dr. Speckart. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Litigation Psychology Podcast, presented by CSI. For more information, visit courtroomsciences.com.